Hey guys, welcome to episode 10 of Unethical Podcast. It's called Tiger King Effect. Our guest host for this episode is Rick Getz of Drunksplain Podcast. And today we're going to be discussing the coerced suicide of Conrad Roy. Welcome to Unethical Podcast. Hey guys, I got a question for you. Have you ever met somebody, like in person or on a dating app or whatever, that you knew was like bad news for you? 100% yes. Recently. Yeah. All right, you go. You go, dick too. Okay, so yeah, met this uh, girl on Bumble and it, we went uh, to a New Year's party together and uh, it was second date first date actually didn't go that well so i don't know why i set up a second date but uh we go on the second date and she comes with my friends to a new year's party and it's new year's and there are married couples in the room and like no one really kisses i wasn't really thinking anything of it um she was very angry that i did not kiss her at midnight there's at least 10 other people there no one else did so i was like all right this is a signal this girl wants alone time so go back to my place like she's seemingly all for it come back here making out and she stops and she's like i just want to let you know we're not going to have sex and i was like completely fine appreciate you telling me thanks for being upfront about it not more than like 15 seconds later she says you're such a fucking pussy for not trying harder and i was like what <laughs> and she says she's like yeah you should be trying harder if you actually cared i was like listen you gave me the non-consent signal i was like if you wanted me to try harder we call that rape and i was like i'm she not gonna be you doing that like a rapist she, she was like this guy's gonna rape me yeah. i'm gonna take him home with me and we're, yeah. he's definitely the one to rape me she had a rape fantasy she thought you were the one to do it and you know what rick i don't i don't agree you don't look like a rapist no one said he looks like a rapist except you <laughs> Us Richards are right here and now. Us Richards are standing in solidarity. I do not believe that you look like a rapist either. Dicks against rape. (laughs) Essentially, I I told her, I was like, yeah, I'm not a rapist. Um, We can end this right here. I can see where this is going and it's not going well. um, So you can leave. And then I actually ended up leaving immediately after her um, and went to a different New Year's party. So that's good. Yeah, it was very awkward. That is bad. That's scary. Bad news. I've met I've met like guys that I think are bad news, but I'm like, let's fucking break some shit or you know what I mean? Like we're out drinking and they're like, push over a scooter. I'm like, why'd you push over the scooter? Must follow and watch more. You know what I mean? Like I <laughs> it's not a good idea that you did it and I wouldn't have done it, but like that you're doing it, I'm I'm not gonna stop you, yeah. but I mean this ain't a good idea. And if the cops come, I'm definitely throwing you under the bus, but cool. A little off topic, but cool. Christy, what about you? Lesbians are fucking crazy. I'm just going to say that. Seconded. Continue. Women. 
I, I love the opening. I, I love the opening. I can't wait. Yeah, look, I, uh, one of my best friends introduced me to this girl. It was just, for me, there was nothing. But she just became very, very creepy very, very quickly. I met her for like a couple of hours and I was like, nah, nah, nah. So, but she just kept trying and we went to a, a mutual party and she was introducing me to other people. I was across the other side of the room, but she was pointing at me from the other side of the room, telling people that I was her girlfriend. And she went down south, like four hours away from where she lived and then drove back up to my place and bought a present from me from down south. I lived like an hour from her. So she drove four hours down to this place to buy chocolate that she knew I liked and then drove five hours to give it to bring it to me. Did you eat the chocolate? Fucking oath I did, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I once had a dude like two cities away I met online send me candy in the mail. I fucking ate it. He sent me yeah. a necklace. I wore it for my graduation pictures. I didn't like him. Doesn't matter. Respect. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when I when I when I tactfully tried to tell her that there was nothing going to happen and I didn't want a relationship with her, she started <laughs> Oh fuck. Uh, she started punching herself in the head. Nice. You got yourself a fight club bitch. Yeah. That's amazing. She's like <laughs> Yeah, so I kinda just excused myself and When she was punching yeah. herself, you just backed out of the room slowly? <laughs> Anyway, you're busy. I'll, uh, I'll call you later. And look, I don't, I, I don't want to interrupt you here, but you know, stay safe. Wow. So wait, just to clarify, um, when she was punching herself, it wasn't like at your house, was it? Yeah. <laughs> she leaves her own house. Sorry, anyway. that my friend? <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm picturing. She comes over to talk to her. I mean, she just drove five hours for chocolate. She has no problem coming over to your house, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. she's punching herself in your home, and you're just like, "This is your house now. <laughs> Goodbye." Yeah, I'm moving out. Bye. Like when you see a spider, and you're like, "Well, <clears throat> enjoy. Yeah. Burn it down." Sorry. Was there any more interaction after that? No. Oh. Not really. She kind of, she kind of got the idea after that, but she was constantly talking to my friend that introduced us about me and was like, this was all in the space of like three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the reason that I asked this question, actually I'll start. I have an answer too. I met this dude. We hung out on new year's for the first time. We went downtown. We watched the fireworks, except, uh, he did kiss me at new year's. So he wasn't a pussy, clearly. I guess so. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not taking shots, but he wasn't a pussy, except he kind of was. Anyway, so um, uh, uh, he told me basically about this incident when he was younger where he was a drug dealer. <laughs> and so he was working for all these drug dealers and they all went to this shifty little bar in like, I think it was like the Northwest Territories or strip club, pardon me. And, um... The, like, leaders of his drug gang, they, like, took one of the strippers out back and um, were sexually assaulting her. Mm. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, before you get into this, this sad part, he was just casually telling you this story as if it was, like, a cool thing to do? 
No, no. If you knew me a little bit better, you'd know that people just kind of talk to me about things. Also because I ask them. So yeah, he goes behind this bar and he sees his, his bosses basically are sexually assaulting this stripper and he tries to stop them. And then they hold a gun to his head and make him watch. And then they like fucked off with the stripper in the back of the car and he doesn't know what happened to her. So he had PTSD from this, which is fair. I think anyone would. It's a horrible situation. Um, and the reason that I realized he was bad news is not because of him. It was because of me. Somebody with, like, fragile mental health has no business with someone like me because I think he would have ended up in the same situation as Conrad Roy. <laughs> and I would have been in the same situation as Michelle Carter. Not that I would have told him to kill himself, but I think that I would definitely browbeat his self-esteem low enough that he would. So <laughs> I love that you just own it. You're just like, yeah. That's right. Um, so You know, normally people like to identify with the victim and not with the the person that uh, normally i guess in this case has talked them into the killing but our respect again for that one i i know who can handle me and who can't and he couldn't and so i fucked off nicely sort of not that nicely a little nicely so on the subject of that segue a young man by the name of conrad roy conrad con jesus fuck conrad roy met a young lady by the name of Michelle Carter while he was on vacation in Florida after being introduced by family members of both their families. They knew each other. So they met for the first time two or three years before Conrad unfortunately died. And throughout the course of their relationship, Conrad's mother said they only actually met in person about five times and mostly dated through text messages, of which they shared thousands despite living less than an hour apart so conrad was evasive about whether or not they were actually a boyfriend and girlfriend and as far as anyone knew they had never been alone together and therefore had never had sex so the families speculate that conrad and michelle's relationship was so strong because they bonded over the fact that they both had mental health issues uh, Michelle suffered from an eating disorder, and Conrad had a long history of depression. So both teens were on prescription antidepressants. And in 2014, that bond proved deadly for young Conrad because, as it turned out, Michelle wanted to see just how far Conrad would go to overcome that depression. This is such a crazy new world you young people live in. Like, where you could just have a girlfriend an hour away or a boyfriend an hour away, and you're all popping antidepressants. When I was a kid, I'm old. I don't even think kids were on antidepressants. I think Ritalin just came out. Nice. Didn't even take that. I just sniffed it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even fucking... Uh, I was supposed to take it for my ADD. But, like, I find this such a weird just how they met, how this relationship developed. It's such, like, a new time period thing. You didn't do this before. I don't know people that would have a girlfriend to town over. So I'm, I'm right on the cusp of Gen Z and millennial. Um, and I actually side with you, Richard. I also find it very strange. The whole finding a town over and the, the whole, let me bond over the fact that we both have mental issues. I think that would scare me away. I think I want someone that grounds me, but yeah, it's, it's just interesting. It's such a new way of, it seems normal, I guess, but not to me. It seems so foreign to me. When I was in high school, I lived an hour and 20 minutes away from a girlfriend that I had for nine months. So I think it's doable. 
and, and neither one of us neither one of us convinced the other to kill each other so. yeah that's what's interesting about this is it was like more than doable and their family was like totally keen on driving them to be together and stuff but they were just happier having a relationship that was majority over text so this Maybe is a choice just that they painfully made. introverted you know some people are just so painfully like socially awkward and so like very very introverted and the only way that they can bond with other people is through um texting and stuff like that i don't think introverts had it as good as they have it now you know what i mean it's so easy to be introverted these days <laughs> well introvert introversion was really frowned upon for a long time you were pushed into being an extrovert do you guys can consider yourself introverts or extroverts um i'm an introvert for sure uh Absolute introvert for sure. 100%. I'm an extrovert. I'm 100% extrovert. No. I'm an introvert, actually. <laughs> okay, so let's get to know these kids a little bit before we move on. So, Conrad was born September 12, 1995, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. He had a huge affinity for water since he was taken out on his grandfather's boat at only three weeks old. His father said that Conrad planned to make a career out of it using the captain's license he earned from the Northeast Maritime Institute in 2014. Conrad was heavily involved with the family's marine salvage business for a time and planned to continue being involved after he'd finished school. What, he lives in Massachusetts and there's like a scrap underwater salvage place? What is, what, what's near there? I, maybe in my geography, stupid. I thought that was landlocked. I didn't think there's like... Because I am American, it means that I don't know uh, American geography. Um, so unfortunately, that means I cannot tell you where Massachusetts is. That being said, does the Mississippi River run through? Wait, no, Massachusetts. Wait, that's on like one of the Great Lakes, right? Okay, maybe it's, right? yeah, that's, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's the lake. Sorry, it's, I, it, I, you just... guys should know that because you're closer to it than I am. Hold on, let me. <laughs> No, I think that's what it is. I think it's on the Great Lakes, right? Okay, so they go salvages on the Great Lakes. I'm wrong. I'm completely wrong. I know I'm wrong. Where is Massachusetts? Oh, okay. No, I'm wrong. Massachusetts, not on the Great Lakes. Um, <laughs> Massachusetts is, wow. I should have known this because Boston, so it's on the eastern seaboard. Okay, it's on. Okay, yeah. I thought that was landlocked. I'm re dumb. I'm dumb. So Conrad's father said that he was responsible and that he trusted him to handle the boat himself. So, Roy struggled with depression as a result of pressure he faced maintaining a 3.88 high school GPA, as well as his parents' divorce and social anxiety. His mother believed that his biggest source of pressure was himself and his own feelings of inadequacy. So, in one YouTube video he posted, he said, What I am doing is I'm looking at myself so negatively. Looking at myself, minuscule little particle on the face of this earth. It's no good. Trash. Will never be successful. Never have a life. Never have kids. Never, never learn. But later in the same video, he said, But I have a lot to offer someone. I'm introverted, nice and caring. That's some benefits. I'm a nice kid. Uh, and so you can clearly hear that he struggles with telling himself positive messages, but also he's overwhelmed with negative self-image. 
So just to protect you guys against a slander or a libel lawsuit, this is completely my own opinion, but I hate that the mom described it as his own image because I guarantee that there's something there with the parents that they said or did something over his lifetime to make him think that he was inadequate, not a he just all of a sudden thought he was inadequate. Let's explore that, shall we? Yeah, that was my question. Like, what is this? Is depression genetic? Is that a genetic thing? Or can it be like, like, I know it's probably genetic, but can it be like induced by douchebags? I'm sure you're about to answer. I'm sure you're about to answer. No, that's just, I know from my degree, you can, you can have no history of depression in your family, but you can still become depressed after some sort of trauma or whatever, right? Yeah, it's it's nature and nurture. It's a bit of both. Hmm. So... Uh, Carter didn't really understand his own depression, and unfortunately, there wasn't really a ton of effort made to get it under control and and treated. But uh, he made these YouTube videos because he really wanted to overcome it. So he said in one of his videos, quote, I have a great mom, great dad for the most part. But I am so depressed. I feel like I am differently wired from everyone else, like there is something wrong with me end quote. And so this quote is interesting because, as you mentioned, Dick, too, his father would beat him for not putting away leftovers. And his father's partner, after the divorce, would treat him like absolute garbage. In one altercation, Conrad recalled that his partner stood behind calling him a piece of shit as his father punched him and pinned him to the ground. And his father... Showed no remorse about it, by the way. And he said in an interview that he would do it again. Oh, what a fuckhead. Oh, God, I hate him. See, I think what's really interesting there is that there's proof that the father did that. And then Conrad himself described... Yeah, he was arrested. Yeah, Conrad himself described him as good for the most part, which makes him think that he was the problem there, mm-hmm. which is which is what really interesting, right? Because he was basically taught in his home life you are getting beat because you did something wrong not because the father is just an idiot but the fact that so so i think that's where most of the problems obviously stem from and that's really sad to hear because there's there's no way to to get out of that if you don't have the correct help yeah and especially if everyone around you is letting it happen like if one abusive parents there at least you see somebody else in the family goes hey you can't do that or take them away or something no one seemed to care everyone seemed to think it was they made him. Do you think they made him work for his dad, or he wanted to actually be the like family salvage underwater person? So my, my parent, my parents are both uh, blue collar, and my grandfather was the same. And growing up, I didn't really have a choice, right? Like I was working for them. Now, no one in my family ever beat me, so I I didn't have it to the extreme. But it, I, I think in a like a blue collar mentality, it's like you were just expected. If your family has a business, like you're working with them or for them or whatever their capacity is. So I'm sure he didn't have a choice. Um, so his mother uh, was no peach either, unfortunately. She was uh, also extremely violent, particularly towards his father. And so there's that interesting dynamic that his dad obviously had this heart on for overbearing nasty women. And then he would take out his emasculation on his kid because it was probably the only fight that he could win. I feel bad for this kid already. You're making me feel bad for him good. Because, like, uh, in the – if you watch the Michelle Carter, like, Netflix. Was it Netflix or HBO or whatever? Uh, I Love You Now Die, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. They make him sound like his parents were all awesome and nothing – like, you know what I mean? They never really touched on how his parents were uh, 
So that's an interesting, I, I've listened to enough about this, but not super lots. Uh, so for that, for you to say that today is kind of interesting to me. I never heard this or I never went this far down a rabbit hole. So that's feel bad for the kid. Poor guy. For sure. Um, as I mentioned, his parents' divorce was, um, big for him. I imagine one of those reasons being that his dad shacked up with some nasty twat immediately after, but during the divorce, his mother was arrested for domestic violence after attacking his father in front of the kids. And then she was also arrested a second time in 2013 after another incident took place. Is underwater salvage, is that code for pirate? Are these guys pirates? Are they actually pirates? Are they fucking rapscallions? That's my question. They sound like, now they're acting, for sure, uh, their job title sounded like pirate, but I'm not going to assume anything. But then now they're uh, getting divorced and marrying a, what was the quote, dirty twat from down the side? That sounds like a pirate thing to do. And then the mom's abusing the hut. That sounds like a pirate. This all sounds like pirates. And that's why I asked the question. And uh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'd I'd fear the dread pirate Roy for sure. All right. Does Roy have a parrot? No. Is there an eye patch anywhere in this family? Does he have a no. wooden leg? <laughs> I don't know for sure. Do you know for a fact there's no eye patch, or did you just say no to shut him up? Because I feel like you really rushed to that one. <laughs> I've seen pictures of his father, and he has two eyes. Somebody okay. else in the company, though, like Scrambo. Scrambo, the, the first mate. Do we even hear about the first mate? He's probably got an eye patch. Anyways, sorry. I'm pretty sure Conrad was the first mate. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, well, you know what? We can look into that later. Perhaps we will find some. <laughs> you can do some more investigating regarding that, Richard. You can. That can be Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That... You can do some treasure hunting. Part two. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Conrad, unfortunately, had four prior suicide attempts before he died, including one where he overdosed on acetaminophen. And... Uh, I remember being a teenager and there were always, you know, there was probably three or four kids growing up that did the same thing. And it's not going to kill you. Mm-mm. It's just going to make you real sick. And he Googled suicide methods frequently, so he would know that it's not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Mm. But, I mean, a cry for help is legitimate. As much as people think that it's just for attention, it is, it's a legitimate method. If he, you know, if he's at the end of his rope, his parents aren't listening. Obviously, they're not fucking listening. You know, he gave it a go. And uh, I couldn't find details on the other suicide attempts and how he did them. So after after the acetaminophen, w- what happened? Did anyone step in? Did his parents do anything? Like, No. So no. everyone just kind of pretended that it didn't happen? Yeah. They called him a f- and told him to swab the deck. That's what that happened. Like, stop being like, what are you doing? And go work. Like, the, anyways, these guys are quite the family already. So... I think it's interesting to note here that during his first suicide attempt, he also shared the thoughts that he was having and what he'd done with a girl that he'd met online, and that girl then called the police. And nothing came of that? No. Ah, fucking hate, man. This, this, is the part, this is the part of America that, you, that I hate. It's, it's both the justice system and the health system, right? Like, probably two of the most important social welfare systems in... <laughs> In, in our country and we just let people go on and don't do anything about it like this one could have potentially been like i don't know if it would have been fully stopped maybe it wouldn't have reached the level that it, it reached but so whenever conrad was 
going through it, he would throw out a lifeline. So in this case, one month before the incident, he put out a video. And presumably, he reached out to Michelle as well in the same way that he'd reached out to this girl originally. But instead of getting help, Michelle decided that she was going to offer up her own brand of help that didn't involve calling the police. So... We'll move on to Michelle. Not a lot is known about Michelle. She's not terribly sympathetic, so, I mean, who really cares about her? Uh, we do know she was born August 11th, 1996 in uh, Plainville, Massachusetts, and according to her parents, she was quiet and kind and sympathetic, and she grew up into a troubled and vulnerable teenager. Um, so some people did say that she had some issues with control, and that she tended to play caretaker to people whenever possible. Oh, Michelle was uh, with her friends anyway. Just coming off the documentary from what I remember, she was one of those like overly needy friends. You know, when someone, you call them like, hey, want to hang out? They're like, and they don't message back. Really? Why aren't you messaging me? How can you not message me? Message me back. Message me back. And they're like, okay, we're sorry. We're just busy right now. It's like, oh, when are you going to be free? You're going to be free soon? You know, like, and they all... She was a weirdo too. She was like a weirdo in her her own way. She wasn't popular. She was, the way they all described her was like, not really my friend. So she was like Christie's ex. That's not really an ex. Yeah, basically, yeah. Okay, so the biggest factor in this case against Michelle Carter were text messages that she had sent to Conrad the day before slash the day of it the day crossed over into the next day, sort of in the middle, uh, the incident. And so in the early morning of July 12th, Michelle sent Conrad a very sweet good morning text in the form of, why haven't you done it yet? So I'll go over a few text messages here leading up to the event so you'll get sort of an idea. And I'm paraphrasing here. So Michelle immediately, this was like four o'clock in the morning, started laying into Conrad about his delay, saying, you were going to do it. I don't get why you aren't. All this is for nothing. And Conrad assured her that he was going to eventually, he was just too, quote, messed up in the head right now. And he said that he didn't know what he was waiting for and that all of his plans were already lined up. So Michelle responded to Conrad and said, you're not going to do it, Conrad. Last night was it. You keep pushing it off and you say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always going to be like this if you don't take action. You're making it harder on yourself. Uh, So like I said, this was like 4 a.m. So Conrad said he was going to go back to sleep and Michelle pushed him one more time to get in his truck while everyone was still sleeping and leave the house. But he didn't respond. And he woke up again a few hours later And she began walking him through what his plan should be to go that day. So she hounded him for hours all throughout the day. And he would just sort of placate her and agree with her. And occasionally he would express some concerns that he didn't want whoever found him to get sick. Um, He and oh, yeah, he said this to her and she said, well, just put a little sticky note that says carbon monoxide if you're scared. Oh, my God. Like, what? <laughs> and then he was note. like, but what if someone sees it? Um, 
Yeah, so, and he's, he, he brought up a few other concerns. She wrote them all off. He just continued to agree with her. And so all of these conversations were happening while Carter was spending the day with his family at Horseneck Beach in Westport, Massachusetts. Uh, he kept telling her that he hadn't done it yet because his mom made him go to the beach and he complained about it, which is sad considering his family recalls it as a lovely day where they frolicked and he took his little siblings for ice cream. Yeah. So... That night, after the family had returned from the beach, Conrad told Michelle he didn't know how to leave them. And she responded, say you're going to the store or something. Of course, what he meant was, I want them to know that I love them kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not like, I don't know how to walk out the front door. Uh, And so she she said that he was overthinking. So at 6.20 p.m., Conrad told Michelle he was leaving his house. And he got in his truck, drove out to an abandoned Kmart parking lot, rigged a water pump to fill the cabin of his truck with carbon monoxide, and he died. And he was found later on July 13th by the police. This fucking girl, man. I don't don't even know what to say. Uh, I don't even know what to say. Like, it just, it breaks my heart that he was in so much pain and he got to the point where he was able to just be influenced by this very and even at selfish even at second thoughts you like i'm getting so out of many. here so many yeah but i mean th- this case is it's really just hard because you know in in most situations it's like if you would have a significant other who's pushing you to do this you have some sort of an outlet right like you have friends you yeah. have family you have someone to fall back on it's like like if he would have felt like oh i can you know actually talk to my parents and like they can be my cry for help who knows what would have changed and i think that's why you don't see this happen that often is because like there is someone in their life that has a cry for help and this was just one of those situations where psychopath girlfriend meets depressed boyfriend and you know everything else kind of just unfortunately fell into place but you know that if he was like mom michelle's like She's saying these things and I, I'm uncomfortable. His mom would also probably be like, you're being dramatic, you little bitch. Like, you know, you know, just based on his yeah. like mannerisms in the YouTube video, like I said, like, I feel like that's exactly what his parents would say to him is like, man up, grow a pair. When people are having those suicidal thoughts, how it normally occurs, I'm willing to guess that there were signs that the parents later claimed, you know, would not say that have happened because they didn't want to be at fault. It's called acetaminophen. They knew it was, they had signs. It's not just that. Yeah, I, I think they, they definitely knew about it. And they just, you know, even if at the time they thought it was an issue, they were pretending it wasn't because they just didn't care. So. Oh, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean you're depressed? Just like be happy. Yeah, just don't be depressed. Do yeah. something that makes you happy. Yeah, just stop it. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. I feel like we we got to give uh, people a break a little bit on this too, though. Like, imagine you didn't have mental illness, okay, at all, or any depression at all, and try and think of like rationalizing that being a real thing when it doesn't make any sense to you. It's never been a part. It's so alien to you. Yeah, I mean that's perspectivism, right? Like, it's hard to disconnect something that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard of the psychopath theory? Um, basically, the psychopath theory is that way back in the human history. There was a mutation in the genes to make that made humans uh, psychopaths. And so that was obviously a genetic um, advantage because they would not care about the welfare of the collective and they would do well and strive because 
they could get all of the resources they need for themselves and fuck everybody else. And then unfortunately, all the people without that ended up dying. And then the psychopaths would have, you know, psychopaths would beget psychopaths. And so the human race ended up dwindling down to such a small number because of psychopathy that it eventually obviously flipped the switch. Evolution, no longer being a psychopath, was an advantage because the psychopaths, because they were all looking out for number one, couldn't get anything. There was so little for everybody because they were all looking out for number one. And so, yeah, the the human race dwindled down to such a small number that there was a ton of inbreeding because of it. And then they would have genetically mutated kids who weren't psychopaths and so on and so forth. But the theory that the vast majority of the human species has mental illness is a result of this period of inbreeding caused by psychopathy as a mutation. Okay. <laughs> Imagine that first or second generation where it's just like you're calling your parents psychopaths and you're actually right. It's like my parents are fucking psychopaths. It's like, wow, you're actually correct. They are. Psychopathy is like actually more common than people uh, want to admit to. What's what's this book called? The Psychopath Test, I think it is. But anyway, it's something like that. Yeah, John Ronson. He was studying psychopaths or whatever. So he went and like took a bunch of x-rays of psychopaths in prisons and shit. And he wanted to have like a, a base of non-psychopaths. So he got his like family and friends to take brain scans too. And he was looking to see what it is in the brain that's fucked up about psychopaths. And he found, oh, this one's psychopath, psychopath, psychopath. And he's like, okay, psychopath. I have nine psychopaths who I know are psychopaths and there's a tenth one here what the fuck and he looks down it's him he's like I'm a fucking psychopath he has the same brain thing as these guys that are psychos and a lot of these guys just do really well in like business and CEOs and shit like that like doctors to me to me that's a that's an argument for the nurture piece of it right like if in nature what we consider a psychopath is being able to disconnect you know an act from the emotion then the nurture of it is how do you actually apply that, right? So, like, if it's in a doctor applying it from, I can do the surgery because I'm disconnecting my job from the human who's actually on the operating table versus, you know, someone who kills somebody because of a psychopathic tendency, it's completely different. So The reason that I said that is because um, I wanted to tie that in with, like, imagine being somebody who has no mental illness. Somebody with no mental illness is so unbelievably rare now. But if everyone's mentally ill, who like what do we? What's the baseline for non-mentally ill? But that I mean, that's that's really that's really interesting that you you call it out like that. And I think I I saw your face when she started saying that because we are predisposed to think that mental illness is so much worse than a normal illness. But think about it: you get sick all the time, or you have some sort of health issues, or you have something that happens over the time of your life. It would be crazy to think that we don't all have something that happens with our brain over our lives that causes some sort of mental illness, but we're not taught to think that way, right? Like we get sick every year, we get the flu, we get colds, we get things, and it's just so normal. But when you talk about mental illness, no one ever talks about like, oh, you could get things that happen in spurts or that can really like, you know, like in the back of your brain. I'm talking mental illness, uh, unless unless maybe I'm wrong, but I don't feel like you're curing that. You're treating it, right? There's no cure to most mental illnesses. So you sh- flu goes away. Uh, tuberculosis doesn't go away. But who the fuck has tuberculosis? A very few amount of people. Shit that pe- you know what I'm saying? No Not stuff that it used to be. A lot of people had tuberculosis though. Yeah, we lot, cured it. That's my point. <laughs> but I think I think the human brain is so complex. There's so much that we don't understand about it. I mean. Um, I would not be surprised if in the next decade that we come to find out that 
you know, much to what Celeste is saying, that most of us do actually have some sort of mental illness that we're not addressing or we don't know how to handle. And It's not always a depressed state. It's not always an ang- anxious state. It's not always a sad, want-to-kill-yourself state. It can be um, off the rails, you know, like I need to throw myself off the top of a building so I can feel adrenaline. I need to jump out of a plane. I need to, you know... People that, you know, that have to, that like to shoot stuff, (laughs) you know, they need to... Compulsive behaviour, yeah. Yeah, they need to feel that so they feel alive, whereas depressed people are down. There's these people that have to be up here all the time. They've got to be at the peak. And that that is, because we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to have a nice level mental Yeah, but that's that's my problem with it. That's my whole problem with it. Is are we supposed? Who said we're supposed to be this weird thing that goes straight? And if you're up here or down here, you're ill. Yeah, everyone in life will have ups and downs. That's a normal. That's normal. But when you're down here for longer, then there's something obviously going on up here. But if you're up here as well for a massive amount of time, there's something going on. Where everyone has waves. You know, we all we all have good days and bad days but when the peaks and the valleys are so intense that's when there's something going on neurologically richard you actually make a really good point because you said that you have add right it used to be right that add and adhd was a mental illness right it was just something that they'd like you know stick you in the slammer for or whatever particularly if you were a woman but now it's no longer considered a mental illness now it's just um you know, just some form of aneurotypical functioning, right? It's not the same thing. It's not on the same scale as a mental illness because generally mental illness are something that threaten your your quality of life and your survival, which ADD and ADHD doesn't, right? It's just a different level of functioning. And so you're right. It evolves. And, you know, there will be a time perhaps once we do more studies and we're always opening up to mental health um awareness that anxiety and depression may also be removed from being considered mental illnesses and just be considered sort of a standard type of brain and we'll just move in that direction and so you're right it is evolving there is no normal that's absolutely true um but uh i think again with this that's backwards thinking right like if theoretically this is all speculation if he was getting that kind of disrespect to his mental illness it's a bias from times gone by Right? Where a mental illness was, there's something wrong with you, but there's something, quote, wrong with just about everybody. So I I do want to double back, though, on something that Richard said that I think was important. So, like, Chrissy was giving us the medical view of what do we look at when it comes to mental illness, right? Like, this baseline view. And what Richard was saying is who gets to create the baseline, right? Like, from a logical perspective, who's the person that gets to come up with that? Who the fuck knows? Because no, like... I can't create the baseline because I could be way off. Christy can, can't create the baseline because she could be way off, right? It's No one really knows. So I think that that's a good point is like, and I think it's going to be a long time until we finally discover like, you know, may, maybe there is no perfect. I think you have to take everything. You have to kind of average it out and say like, what are we looking for? Um, I don't think you can necessarily say like, just because someone performs in this way or someone performs in this way, that this is the correct or wrong way because mm-hmm. it can be evolutionary factors. And I'm glad that someone brought that Um, evolutionary point up absolutely and i mean in the vince lee episode we came across a little insensitive i think at a few points where we're getting out now that like we are sensitive to it we do understand mental illness Mm -hmm. um that it's very serious 
and um, that people need compassion in their life when they're struggling with it, not people like, obviously, Conrad's family who didn't seem to prioritize his mental health, or people like Michelle who capitalized on it. Yeah. So, uh, any more points before we move into trial here? I'm out. Uh, tapped out. I'm done. No, I'm very yeah, interested about the too. trial. I, 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 This is the part that I think interests yeah. me most about the case. Okay, so Michelle was not indicted until February 2015 after the text messages had been discovered. So, during this time, Michelle had the balls to text his mother after he was found. And she said, it's all my fault. And his mother was said, no, it's, your, it's not your fault. It's my fault. But, of course, obviously, she had no way of knowing. It's so, both their fault, really. Yeah. So, um, the prosecution claimed in trial that it was actually Conrad who, or pardon me, the defense not the prosecution, claimed in trial that it was Conrad who pressured Michelle into making sure he killed himself. So essentially they claimed that she originally would tell him not to, and then he would threaten her that if she ever tried to stop him again, he would never talk to her again. And then eventually he told her that they were brought together so that she could make sure that he killed himself. Uh, they also claimed that her eating disorder was a sign of, like I said, the control issues and that um, she wanted to serve as a caretaker to Conrad because she was sympathetic of his mental illness and wanted to save him, whatever. Um, but because she couldn't do it her way by stopping him, she decided to do it Conrad's way, which is, I want you to make sure that I die. So, I mean, big load of bullshit. Do we know how it, like, got discovered? Because, like, I'm thinking in most cases where, like, someone kills themselves, what prompts them to start looking at the girlfriend? What prompts them to start looking at the phone, looking at the text messages? Like, what led them down the path of, like, holy shit, she's actually telling him he should go through with it? Michelle said some things to a friend of hers over text message, and her friend was concerned, and she reported her. Okay, yeah. So there were other signs of her being a Not even crazy signs. Bitch. She just straight up told her wow. the truth. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit here. Um, I'll also mention before we move on here that Michelle was an incredibly unreliable witness because she had lied about other things to Conrad's friends after he died. One of the things that she claimed was that they had had sex, which again... Everyone says they'd never been alone together, so that had never happened. And he act- she actually told one friend that he raped her. This is a fine line, but, like, <laughs> saying saying that she they definitely didn't have sex because they weren't alone together, there are definitely ways that you can get away with it where it makes it seem like, oh, there is no way that they were alone together for that amount of time, and you still had sex. So I don't like the whole thing where it's, like, an outsider perspective. Mm. Now, at the same time, she is not a reliable witness in any means so if she's you know there's really only two people that can say who know if they can say but i I don't like the idea that it's like we're just completely discrediting the fact that they may or may not have had sex or he may or may not have raped her i sort of agree just i mean like if they had actually went to school together or something like yeah totally i wouldn't believe that for a second teenagers (laughs) saying they haven't had sex is fuck off yes you have well he killed himself with a truck he killed himself with a truck he had access to vehicles and they were an hour away from each other Eh, maybe. I- I'm gonna go with they probably fucked, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, I I could I lived an hour and a half away from my significant other when I was in high school, and I did have sex with that that significant other, and I mean, it wasn't like anyone could have claimed like, oh, we were never alone together. It's like, well, yeah, the other okay. thing too is that they did have access, like I said, to all of their messages. Um, yeah. And at no point was there any indication that they had ever met up uh, outside of um, you know the right. few times that their families were okay. together visiting. Um, I just I think it's just unlikely again based on the relationship that Michelle had with Conrad I don't think it was a romantic relationship for her oh, um, and and how much they texted between each other there would have been something like thanks for deflowering me or yeah. like oh, let's meet up let's meet up somewhere <laughs> I didn't mention this but this is important um, when forming opinions uh, the prosecution's case was that she did this for attention that was the the like um accusation was you made him do this for attention and so the reason that this came up like i said is uh because they wanted to prove that she would say bullshit like this for attention that she would say something that horrible and cross that horrible line to get attention from somebody and so that is important um whether or not oh, yeah, she's your opinion I don't know. I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but she like made a whole baseball game in his honor three towns over without her family being a part of it. And everyone's like, why don't you do it in the town he lived in? She's like, because I'm organizing it. Duh. Like, that's a that's a pretty extreme thing to just like. Yeah, she really she milked it after for sure. She did. Um, so, yeah. So, like I said, they brought that up as an argument that she would lie about just about anything or do just about anything for attention. So. Uh, despite all of this, the prosecution didn't really have a leg to stand on. Legally, this was an unprecedented case. They had no legal leg to stand on. All of their circumstantial evidence is just circumstantial. It's not a strong case. Uh, and so this was a really tough position to be in. However, there was a smoking gun. So in trial, the judge acknowledged that the prosecution's case against Michelle was weak. But... He dropped a massive bomb and he found her guilty of involuntary manslaughter because of a single piece of evidence. At some point, as Conrad sat in his truck and it filled with carbon monoxide, he got out and he phoned Michelle. And Michelle allegedly instructed him to get back in. And so the judge said this interaction constituted wanton and reckless conduct because she knew the truck was a toxic environment and that it could kill him. So putting him in the truck, not enough for a guilty verdict. Telling him to get back in and telling at no point telling him to get out is what made her guilty. And, you know, whatever works. He got the job done. She was found guilty. So just to clarify, did she call him? Did he call her or text her? He called her? her. This was a phone call. Hey, how did they know? Did they did they have like the actual record of the phone call, or was it more so just like they're they're guessing that she said get back in? So the phone call was never recorded, and so there's no proof that this actually even occurred. This was a nail she rammed into her own coffin by texting a friend by the name of Sam that she encouraged Conrad to do it. That she was on the phone with him when he died. That she could have called for help and chose not to. And, quote, he got out of the car because it was working and I fucking told him to get back in. Oh, my God. And so, you know, hey, maybe this was just another lie, but... Oh, that's the thing with these uh, these people who aren't reliable. It's really hard to trust anything they say, but... 
You know, did she say like, I told him to get back in cause I'm the tough guy in this relationship or did she actually, te- but regardless, uh, text messages have no nuance. So you're fucked. Yeah. So what was she charged with? Like, like how long she, was, she put uh, in- was charged with involuntary, involuntary manslaughter. So, uh, she was out on bail for five years until 2019. Um, or I guess four years. Uh, Because she was indicted in 2015. And she was sentenced in 2017, but she was granted a stay of sentence until she had exhausted all of her appeal options. So she wasn't actually incarcerated until February of 2019. And then she was out of jail by May of 2020. So she served a little over a year actually incarcerated. So just for reference, she is three months older than me. Yeah. Do you know her? (laughs) I I don't know her. Yeah, so to finish up, you know, we know what happened. She was let out. She didn't serve very much time. But there is um, a little piece of this case that continues on. Conrad's mother introduced a bill called Conrad's Law, which would criminalize suicide coercion in Massachusetts. The bill has not been passed yet, but the family is hopeful. And that's it, you guys. Let's talk about it. Well, at least his mother did something positive. So she's she's just out. She's just out, right? Yeah, she's like, just she's straight up out. She was... Do we know where in the world she is? Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's like, I'm next. Someone Someone's going to text me. I mean, joke's on her. I don't have a truck, but... <laughs> I, uh... So what do you guys think? Do you guys think she should have went to jail, got in trouble for this? What do you guys think? I, I don't at all. Absolutely. I don't think she should have gotten in trouble at all. What? Really? You Don't you live in the fucking land of the free where you have freedom of speech and you can say whatever the fuck you want and if people do it, they're stupid, not your fault? Yes, but you're... Okay, but the rule on freedom of speech is that it cannot impede others. So this right here is the fact that she is trying to do it against another person. So, like, I can't go and yell racist and hateful things at somebody and say freedom of speech because the whole point is I am taking someone else's freedoms away from them. So what she did right here was, I mean, I I completely agree with the manslaughter charges. I can't believe that she happened to juggle her way out of it for four years and then just so happened to like serve a few months, whatever it was. Let me, let me hit you with this then. Uh, Parents were beating him for his life and calling him idiot or whatever. Uh, They contributed to his mental health, which brought him down this road to begin with. So why aren't we charging the parents? Why should, why is it just the girl who text messaged him with the promise of a blowy? That never happened. I think the problem is that at this point you can't go back and charge the parents for what would have been any sort of, um, you know, domestic violence because of a statute of limitations. Um, I, but really, the, the largest failure here is the criminal justice system and um, the healthcare system that didn't step in sooner because um, yeah. he should have never been in that situation. Um, so that, that's really sad. I mean, that that is the biggest failure, but unfortunately, you see that so often. Um, it just rose to this level because she was in a situation where I, I truly think that she is, um, you know, a psychopath and um, really wanted to control the entire situation. And she felt like, he was her puppet that she could do and say anything with. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot that we're never going to know about the case. I actually personally think that they probably did have some sort of sexual relations. And I would not be surprised if she, at least in some way, felt like um, she was raped because, you know, he's going to have some sort of tendencies to be. I mean, think about his 
childhood life and what we know about it, right? Like he was beat and he felt, he said, you know, my father's good for the most part. So he thought that was normal. He thought that was a normal act for a man to do. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if when he was in that situation, he thought that was normal for him to do to be in control. So I think there's a lot that we're not going to know. And it's sad on both sides. I don't think either one of them had a good run of things. And I don't know anything about her family life. Um, And I think that would be interesting to explore um, further at some point is her family sort of like kind of abandoned her after, I mean, they made appearances here and there, but they really weren't like our beautiful, precious baby was manipulated by this son of a bitch or anything. I'm pretty sure. kind of hung around in the back. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they let, she moved back in with her mom though. And she got out of jail. So like they're, they're around. I, I think I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure she moved in with her parents though. Yeah, but they just do we know know, they didn't really stand up for her. They weren't in the documentary, for example. So, Christy, do you think she should have gone to prison? I'm in two minds about it. I think she I don't know if prison would have helped, but I think she definitely needs some kind of psychiatric evaluation to to be able to be okay with talking to someone to the point where they actually physically take their life and being okay with that. I think there's something going on up there that needs to be taken care of. I don't think putting her in prison would help that at all. I'm going to switch my answer and and agree with Christy. I'm sorry, when I mean that she should have had something done to her, I meant that she should have gone, you know, to some sort of uh, mental institution or psychiatric care. Um, I think far too often the American criminal justice system is about punishment and not rehabilitation. I'm definitely on the side of rehabilitation, so. Okay, I got a a question then. Uh, So you have a buddy, okay? You call him Scooter, all right? His name is Scooter, and he—it's because he—it's because he has a scooter, and it's a big fucking scooter, okay? Fifty horsepower scooter, and your buddy Scooter comes up to you and he goes, "I bet you I could take that scooter and jump it over those three cars right now with my scooter." And I go, "You know what, Scooter? That's a fucking great idea. You go down that hill right now and you jump those three cars. I know it's dangerous." I know he'd probably kill himself. In fact, Scooter died that day. Do I go to jail? Yeah. Okay, but what if what if he got to the bottom of the hill, he stopped, and he was like, you know what, this is a bad idea. And you walked his scooter back up, and you were like, no, do it again. Scooter, we were going to get a million views with this fucking video. I'm torn on this one. I think you're right, Richard. I think you're right. I think a better representation of the scenario would be, imagine he did it already, and okay. he was horribly hurt, but still alive. And he was like, whew, close one. And you were like, now get up there and do it again. You think so? I don't. I don't. I still don't. <laughs> I still don't. Especially if he especially if he was saying to you, Richard, I really don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this again. Like, I'm having second thoughts. I don't want to put myself back on the scooter. This is really pulling me back into when the case originally came out. And, you know, people would bring up these arguments and you're like, oh, I don't know which way to go. And and I'm at the same point where it's like when you hear it in the context of what she did. And I think it's a little bit more than just like my friend Scooter. And it's like a very close relationship and a, you're going to be OK. It's going to be better if you do this. Like everyone's going to be happier if you do it. Like it's uh, I think I think both are. Hmm. So um, I'm just going to pop in here and give you my little opinion here. Yes, please do. Um, I think 
what should have happened in this case is they had no legal leg to stand on, like I said, so they had no legal right to put her in prison. I don't care what the judge said about the phone call being the difference, the nail in the coffin. They had no legal leg to put her in prison. None. Zero. But I think morally and ethically, she shouldn't have gone to prison because what they did by charging her, especially like as an adult, as a youthful offender, blah, 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 is they took a girl who obviously all she wanted in the world was attention and they put her in the middle of a media firestorm and gave her all the attention she could ever want as well as they put her in prison so now she gets a piddly little year of actual prison but a lifetime to talk about what prison was like and she can't make any money Mm -hmm. she did she is by like court order she can't make any money from this but she gets all the attention. She gets to do all the interviews. She gets to have all these pictures with her wicked eyebrows and her her haircut. And there's a Hulu limited series where Elle Fanning plays her. Uh, like, she's you just handed her a big silver platter of attention. If they had just said, well, we can't legally do anything and let her get on with her life, no attention. So I do want to say, though, the, the idea is not, did she commit murder? The question is, did she c- commit involuntary mons- manslaughter, which is the fact that there is no premeditation or intent to kill. Instead, it criminalizes the lawful as well as unlawful acts that are carried out in a negligent or reckless manner. And I think she was negligent in that manner, right? It's like the same idea of like, if he did call her and she had the ability to say, hey, you're going to die if you get back in that truck, don't get back into that. That is negligent. Yeah. She let him get back in there. She knew he was not of a, of like a sound mental state i think if if you tell scooter like yeah fuck it you're almost dead try again like you know he's not of a sound mental state and he goes and tries it again like that is negligence at the end of the day so the question i don't think here is should she have been charged the question is do you agree with involuntary manslaughter and i think in both of these examples i do I get that. But let's put it this way. So who? how do you take ownership over the ramp scooter built, the scooter scooter built, the decision to drive down that hill scooter did? Again, in this metaphor, you built the ramp. You set up the video camera. No, scooter came to me and said, should I go down that? And I said, yeah, sure, give her. No, because Scooter only wanted to take a seat of Midafin. He didn't have the idea of the car. She came up with it, right? She pushed him to that, told him to get back in. She set the stage for all of it. Yes, she built the ramp. Ev- she built everything. She set the stage. Yeah. It was it was it all, all her. He just followed direction. She was taking advantage of someone that was very obviously mentally unstable. I don't know if Scooter's mentally unstable. <laughs> If he's friends with Richard, if he's friends with Richard, I'm going to say yes. All right, Dick v. Dick. That's a point for our new champion. Dick yeah. too. Uh, the, the, thing, the thing that gets me is, like, she, she did this for so long. Like, she was like, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. And then in the moment where he gets out of that car and calls her, if I was her, I would have been like, holy fuck, he's actually doing it. And I would have been like, no, 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 don't get back in the car. It's okay. It's all right. I agree. I agree. And that's why if you're going to charge her, charge her with like something that gets so much more time. Because it's basically, if you're thinking about it like that, it's basically murder. Charge her with that. But if you're not going to charge her with murder, you don't have a legal leg to stand on either way. Just don't charge her with anything and let her go on into irrelevance. You know, don't give her the middle ground where now she can talk about her experiences in prison too. 
fade away into obscurity. Exactly. This is what we this is what we do in America. <laughs> it's called Tiger King effect. <laughs> oh, oh, bloody Joe. I was bummed when he wasn't released, I'll be honest. I know. I they had the limo lined up and everything. I was like, this guy's so getting out. Here we go. Season two. I am ready. Even if he did try to kill her, so what? She sucks. All right, you've con- you've convinced me. I'm watching the whole series for a fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> to this episode check out our website for links to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps follow us on facebook and instagram at unethical podcast and become a patron on patreon for early access to episodes at the five dollar level and unedited videos of episode recordings at the ten dollar level we don't have twitter twitter is stupid you can catch our new episodes fridays wherever you eat your favorite podcast And if you like this episode, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, If you hated this episode, also rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and just write a really mean review. I'm really excited for these. Shimmy, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah, shimmy, yeah. Baby, I got your money. Hey, dirty.